If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. So welcome to the Considering Catholicism podcast. So here's what kind of happened. We came out here and we started recording this episode on community. And we thought it would be like this little 30-minute conversation that turned into like well over an hour. Because once we started getting into this, it was like, oh my gosh, there's so much to talk about. What we did is we broke this episode up into two episodes. And you can kind of see where we kind of make an inartful cut in the middle. (laughs) Yes, it won't be exactly seamless. Yeah, but it won't be exactly, but it was a sort of this inartful cut in the middle. But I want you to listen to it, stick around for the second episode. But I think you're going to find this conversation about community and relationships in the church really, really powerful because it was super powerful for us to sit here and record it. Well, welcome, Corey. Glad to have you back. Yeah, good to be back at the Secret Compound. It's a little cooler than the last time I was here last summer. That's but. right. Well, <laughs> spring has sprung, you know, although it is uh, spring in the, and in the deep woods of the Great Lakes. So it's um, not spring like spring break, spring break. Spring. I mean, it was sunny earlier. It and was probably hit 45 degrees. Probably 45 degrees. <laughs> and now it's a little bit later and we have a, a cheerful little fire going. Yes, here the next fire to is us. lovely in the pines. And as the sun sets, no doubt that all of the woodland creatures will emerge, you know, uh, the the deer and the, the raccoons and the Sasquatches and Chukacabras and it's a good time, whatever else. So uh, hopefully we'll be okay. But we're going to talk about something today, a little bit out of the, maybe a lot of the ordinary of what we talk about, because we spend a lot of time on the podcast talking about doctrine and theology but we're going to kind of go in a little bit different direction today and talk about just sort of practice and, and Catholic life mm-hmm. because the podcast is about Catholicism and part of, of course, Catholicism. And it's not just the intellectual part of it or the doctrinal part of it, but but Catholic life, how we right, live and right. play it out. And for the listeners, uh, you, Corey wears uh, a couple of different professional hats. The one is he is the director of family ministries or family life ministries for the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization. Mm -hmm. And as such, he develops a curriculum for families and liturgical seasons and things. It's really wonderful. You need to go check it out at Mm lanecatholic.org. And the other hat you wear is that you are the director of community life for Our Lady of Lake Parish. Right. So in both those hats, you're dealing with families and community and relationships. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about community and the experience of community within the Catholic life and within particularly sort of the life of the parish. Mm -hmm. What's it like to sort of have relationships, you know, between individuals and families and all of those things that sort of bind people together at a a sort of human relational level within a parish, Mm -hmm. right? That gets thrown under this kind of heading of community. Right, right. Right. 
And kind of what sparked this conversation was that I had read an article recently and then sent it to Corey that I found pretty intriguing because one of the things that we've been doing over the years is talking about how hard it is to create community, how hard your job is, <laughs> right. right? So Corey's job as director of community life and family uh, life ministries is to kind of create all of this sort of intentional community, it's often called, right? Mm-hmm. Where people come together and form these bonds and they eat, drink, pray. Yeah. Live life together, basically. Yes, yes, yeah. this whole do life together yeah. thing, right? And that's sort of an ideal. And in a lot of ways, a lot of us can look back at maybe earlier times where people did that. You know, the, the people that you went to church with, you also, and, you know, were your neighbors and you knew them and they fixed your car and they were your cousins and you played on softball leagues and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of people today are missing that. They feel like somehow in the last couple of generations, that sort of level of community relationship they aren't experiencing in churches, either Protestant churches or Catholic churches, but particularly sometimes in Catholic churches. So this article, well, we'll back up a little bit. I'm doing all the talking and then I'll throw it to Corey and then he's going to talk. But this, uh, this article is challenging this idea of intentional community, which is a buzzword in the ministry world. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you create intentional community? Corey is always, talk, you know, seeing articles and things and programs. How do we create intentional community? The idea that you know, obviously there's some community that we just have because I live next to somebody or sort of unavoidable, unavoidable, right. Unintentional community, right. Um, these people are my cousins, but you throw a thousand strangers together in a parish and you have to sort of intentionally make those relationships happen. So Corey valiantly, uh, sometimes like Sisyphus rolling the boulder up the hill only to have it roll back is always trying to launch programs and activities and events and small groups and everything to make this intentional community happen. So the other day, I see this article online in some ministry journal, and this, this guy is basically says intentional community is, um, is tilting at windmills a little mm-hmm. bit, and that he like questions whether that really should be the focus or, a, or whatever, because he says, you know, it's, it's something that's so hard to really make happen. And I'll let you take it from here. But he, he basically, he says, look, you can't make people be friends. Mm-hmm. You, you can't have forced fun. You can't force friendships. And when you try to force relationships by having community, you know, church potlucks and this and that, where everybody sort of shows up, stands around and looks at each other and goes, I guess we're here. But sometimes that, sometimes that just doesn't gel into actual sustained relationships. Mm -hmm. And I know that's what you battle on a day-to-day basis. So this article was saying, it was kind of questioning whether this is, we're we're sort of, as I said, tilting at windmills, chasing something that you're just, it's like the dog chasing, you know, the car tire. It's never going to catch it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's me doing a super long convoluted setup, but I'm going to throw it to you and say, as director of community life and, and family life ministries, what say thee? Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many different tracks we could follow on this. It's a it's a big subject. Um, I, I guess where I would start is that the the ideal. We're we're here in the Easter season, and we've been reading the Book of Acts um, in the liturgy, and and everybody who talks about community in the church, the ideal is always to go back to those first couple chapters of the Book of Acts where it talks about the disciples living as one, of providing for each other's needs, 
of being in constant prayer and fellowship, especially table fellowship with each other. And so it's easy to kind of get this sort of idyllic picture, um, this this idealized picture of like, that's how the church should be. And, and to some extent, that is, of course, how the, how the church ought to be, that we are one body, that we are in a, in a spiritual sense, one family in Christ, and that we should be in friendship and fellowship with each other and taking care of each other. And, and I think that's sort of the starting point or the basis or the ideal when we're thinking about community. But then you say, okay, that was at a particular time in a particular cultural context, um, in a particularly, uh, just a, an extraordinary time in the church. It was the very beginning. The, the Holy Spirit had just come upon the, the apostles and the other disciples. What does that look like today in my parish in 2023? Before you jump from the second chapter of Acts to so your today, parish in yes. 2023, that's a big the, leap. Yeah, and, and there is some things in between that yeah. leap that I well, want to cover. And I want to yeah. even talk about just even how what what's described in the second chapter of sure. Acts yeah. it doesn't even seem to obtain by the 10th chapter of Acts, mm-hmm. right? Like even within the book of Acts, there's this sort of... Um, a sweet season that seems sort of to, a honeymoon period, honeymoon period in the early church that seemed to last a number of months or maybe a couple of years, possibly years, yeah, possibly uh, a, a few years in Jerusalem in particular. Mm-hmm. And you see it described as you say in the second of chapter of Acts. By the time you get to Acts eight, nine, and ten, and twelve, and you start getting the letters of Paul, it's not clear that that's still happening. You know, you look at the description of of the Christians in Antioch when Peter and Paul go there. And that, that's not how it's playing out. Oh, well, yeah. I and mean, Paul is constantly playing whack-a-mole with stop, you know, discriminating against the poor people or doing this or that or or any number of conflicts in, in the stop church. Stop sleeping with your father-in-law right. yeah. or whatever it is in Antioch. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean e- right? even yeah. in those first couple chapters of Acts, I mean, there's Ananias and Sapphira, like people lying yeah. and, and trying to cheat the church. Right. Like, yeah, the, it, you shouldn't, think that just because it was this ideal time in the church that well, people weren't people and stuff wasn't Yeah, I mean, down. I just want to say too, also, I mean, I was in Jerusalem just a few weeks ago. And when you go to the upper room in Jerusalem, it, it's a very small, intimate place. I mean, mm-hmm. this was a, a, a sort of, I, I think the ideals are great, but I think that, I guess what I'm trying to say is my whole Christian life, people have tried to take what happened in this very small, intimate thing for however many months that lasted, whether it was two months or 24 months or, you know, 30 months and to sort of normalize that. And so, you know, obviously even within the New Testament, the church, you see its evolution. So I'll shut up now, but I do, I just think that's, that's an important point. No, I mean, that's a good point to bring up. And I think that brings up the, the essential tension here is that there's a, there's a sort of tension between the rightful idealism of wanting the church to live out its true identity, which of course we won't live out perfectly until Christ returns, but there's there's still the legitimate desire to live as one, as we should in the Holy Spirit, as one body, and the realities of human life, that we are sinners, that there's all kinds of limitations and finitude to our existence and to our communities that are constantly operating like the force of entropy on that, that are dragging it down and dragging the church not only into conflict, but just into to apathy um, about the relationships in the church and and the overall community or or just kind of breaking down, even though nobody is doing it deliberately. And so, yeah, through the ages, you, you kind of have 
sort of on a, on a graph, you have uphills and downhills all the way in different times and places. You have times when the church is doing this well. You have times when the church is doing this less well. You have lots of, um, lots of times throughout history when people are, you know, founding monastic communities or, um, or lay groups or the oratory or, or just in parishes doing parish initiatives that succeed in, and really are bright spots in the community life of the church. And then you have lots of other times where it's kind of just, well, we're all slogging through together and trying not to be at each other's throats. And so there, there's also a very particular context, I think, in, in American parishes um, and in the present moment and, and our immediate history that we necessarily have to deal with. And so talking about that, we, we, in America, we came from a place for a long time where we had very tight-knit parish communities, oftentimes because they were ethnic parishes. Um, so all of the Italian immigrants in town were at the Italian parish and all the Polish immigrants in town were at the Polish parish and the Germans and et, et cetera, et cetera. And so those people all shared a culture. They all, in, in some cases, sort of felt themselves defined in opposition to the people and the culture surrounding them. So they banded together. Um, and you had these tight-knit communities where, like you described, you knew everybody, you socialized together, you did the potlucks. And that worked really well. Um, and, and to some extent, that was because of those sociological factors. But I'm sure that the Holy Spirit also worked with that and made it a good thing in many cases. Of course, you could talk about the downsides of it, too. You know, I, I just to interject real briefly, I mean, you can think of two contexts. One is, like you were saying, in America, we have these, these um, you know, big cities in America where you had lots of immigrants and the Italians moved to this neighborhood and the yeah. Polish moved to this neighborhood and they have these parishes. But, but also, just not even within America, throughout church history, most people were born and raised uh, and lived and died within a few miles, right? right a right. radius, right? You died within, you know, 10 miles of where you Travel were born. Travel was and, not nearly as common. Well, yeah. and you were related to people. So when you look at probably, you know, over the last 2000 years, the majority of parishes that have existed have been, you know, these kind of local things. We'll get back to the conversation in just a few moments. But first, I'd like to ask for your support in producing and expanding this podcast. It's produced by a 501c3 nonprofit ministry called One Whirling Adventure, with a mission to excite and educate people about historic Catholic Christianity and to equip them to live, share, and defend it in the 21st century. Now, the production budget of this podcast isn't big, but it is real. We've set a goal of 40,000 worldwide downloads in 2023, with a crowdfunding goal of $35,000 to make that happen. Would you help us make that happen? If so, please go to consideringcatholicism.com. You can see our GuideStar charity rating there and donate online with a one-time or recurring gift. And if you have a business or organization interested in sponsoring our ministry, please shoot me an email, greg at consideringcatholicism.com. Thank you for listening and considering helping us to help others consider Catholicism. And now, back to the conversation. And I shared with you the other day, it was a quote that I read upon, I know regular listeners know we're both fans of J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, and 
there was something that I saw. Uh, somebody was saying that there was this quote in one of Lewis's letters uh, in which he says, you know, my friend J.R. Tolkien or whatever he's saying, he goes, Tolkien was saying the other day that the term home probably had significantly different connotations when it referred to the same patch of 500 acres that has sustained you and the previous eight generations, mm-hmm. right? For, for, you know, eight generations, your family and extended families and neighbors lived and, and were literally fed by a few hundred acres right? Uh, for, for your great, 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 great grandfather. And your sort of attachment to that place and to those people. And necessarily to the parish. And to the parish yeah. is, is something that we can't really comprehend in a sort of, uh, you know, modern technocratic mobile society. Right. Because the society has changed hugely since, since then. The ethnic parish um, model has broken down in this country. It hasn't been really operational for a couple of generations. And there are very few people, you can still find them in some places, but very few people who are that intimately attached to one place. And, and you still have families that are, you know, stick around in a, in a place for a number of generations. But the, the tenuous nature of our attachment to our parishes and to our place and to our neighbors and even to our family to an extent. I mean, you have families, extended families stretched out over the whole nation and the whole world. Um, who are often estranged right. from each other. Yeah. You know, and I even mean, if they're not, it's just harder to, to have that close relationship if you're well, that far away. And incre- yeah, distance, divorce, mm-hmm. a thousand other things. So, so there's so many things that fracture the inherent, like, okay, so this whole idea of intentional community as opposed to what, uninten- maybe all of that when, you know, the eight generations lived on the same couple hundred acres for 500 years or whatever, you know, hundred years. Right. I mean, that's kind of unintentional community. You, you don't have any choice, but to, when you sit in, in church, you know, these people are like the people that your great, great grandparents. So, so that's kind of unintentional community, but let's get to this idea of in, this chasing intentional community in this modern technocratic right. state full of divorce and distance and all that. Be, because I think, and you think, cause we're converts that let's put our cards on the table that a lot of times it's super disappointing. You know, you come into the church and if you're a convert and you come into a parish, you don't have extended relations. So both of us, you know, come into the Catholic church, you come into a parish where you go, you you can kind of look a little bit with envy on people around us who they were baptized in this parish. Their parents were baptized in their parish. Their Mm -hmm. grandparents were baptized in the parish. Their cousins all go to the parish. And, and so they have these, deep connections. Everybody, there's, there's people that went to elementary school together and they went to high school together and, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you come in as a convert and you go, how do I, you know, be a part of this and how do I make friends and how do I have those relationships? Because on Friday night, people get together with the people that they've known since they were in middle school, right? Or their cousins or on Sunday after mass, people go over to grandma's for dinner or they get together with you know, their friends and they go out on their boat or they do this or they do that or whatever it is that they do for recreation. Mm -hmm. And you kind of go, and then those of us who are converts go, we don't have people like that. And so, so it becomes sort of frustrating. And then we turn to somebody like you and we say, I don't know, sort of Cordy do something like create programs. And so you do things like 
creating church picnics and what have you done? Like family dinners and you've done these potluck things and you've yeah. done all these different things trying to somehow create these events or activities that somehow is supposed to create those relationships and talk about, I want you to two things talk about, talk about that sense of disappointment that potentially someone has coming into a Catholic church. And then secondly, talk about how well you think some of that works out. Cause this article said mm -hmm. a lot of this doesn't work as well as we think it works. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely do relate to that sense of disappointment. I mean, to some extent I had maybe some, uh, some realistic expectations. Like I, I was going to an evangelical church before I became Catholic. And when I was a kid and a teenager, I was in a Lutheran church and like those kinds of churches are sometimes known for having strong communities. And, and I think these, these churches did a pretty good job. Um, but another factor involved is that um, a lot of those communities are, are self-selective. So it's a, it's a certain kind of person of a certain kind of demographic who, who goes there unlike the Catholic parish who it's kind of everybody who's Catholic in the area goes there in many cases. And so you either fit in or you don't. And I didn't always fit in. And so um, going into the parish, um, obviously I, I wanted and I really hoped for making friends and feeling connected in a community and feeling, feeling rooted and feeling like I knew people. But it's not the kind of thing that you can manufacture, um, as, as you mentioned that this article said. And so in my capacity as director of community life at the parish, I'm well aware that I can't make people be friends. Um, I can't, you know, carte blanche, just produce a community at the parish. So what we try and do is facilitate and create the conditions, hopefully, that are that are favorable to people doing that. And, and like you said, some people have been in the parish for generations and they already know people and those people don't need help. I mean, I want them to to be able to welcome in new people, of course, um, and to kind of share the richness that they have there. Um, but there are plenty of people who, who don't have that. And so we do have events, of course, um, where we hope people can, can get more connected. Um, but the main thing that we, we have tried to, to encourage people to do is, is start small groups and affinity groups of various kinds. So like this can take lots of different forms. Like we have a group of women who like to do crafts and they meet together and they do that. That's their thing. They can all bond over that. And then they know people in the parish and they can have more relationships and feel more connected. Or it's the guys who play golf or like I have a group where all we do is we just get together every week and we have a potluck and we pray together. We just, we just pray the liturgy of the hours. And, and so we're hoping to create a situation where people do that increasingly either on their own initiative or at the parish with, with help from me and from our, our staff um, so that they can integrate more. Um, that's the ideal. Um, you were talking about, or we've been talking about uh, the book of Acts and that kind of thing. And while we were talking about the modern situation, it just struck me that in, in many ways, that early church in Jerusalem mirrors our modern situation because you had people there from throughout the world. Um, that not all of them, or even most of them, the apostles weren't uh, natives of Jerusalem. They were from up in Galilee. And so in, in a sense, they didn't have roots and family connections right there. Hey, I want to jump in here because yeah, I think that's a really, really great point. And you and I have talked about this a lot before because like I became a Christian and started working in ministry when I was 21, 22 years old. Mm -hmm. And it was in a college campus. Right. And I would say for 
at least half of my ministry career, I have worked in either campus ministries or in churches that were adjacent to college campuses. Mm -hmm. And there's a sort of sociological demographic thing because a lot of times people in those environments, they aren't from there. They came to go to school there or whatever. So you don't have the cousins and the, all the people that you went to elementary school with and middle school and high school, whereas you, if you come to maybe a more rural parish or a suburban parish or a parish like ours, it is somewhere in that kind of exurbs halfway between mm-hmm. suburban and rural uh, out on the edges of a metro area. You do have people, and we have people that like they literally went to kindergarten together right, and they right. graduated from high school together and they have all those connections. Whereas when you're in that college, college town sort of thing, you, you know, we always... Like in, when we were in working in those ministries, when Thanksgiving Day came, we invited 20 college kids and right, friends right. from the church over for Thanksgiving. But then you get to this place where you go, yeah, well, but at Thanksgiving, I'm going to go to my cousins, my brothers and my sisters and all that. And it's not like those people are bad for doing that because why wouldn't they? Right, of course. But it just becomes harder to do that. And I think that like your point about Jerusalem was an, is an interesting point because they were in that more of context where they could form those. Mm-hmm. And the, the other thing I just want to jump in here and talk about, maybe get your thoughts too, mm-hmm. maybe your perspective as a younger guy, and I'm an older guy, but just what the basis of friendships are. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm like an, a, a grouchy old man who's had a lot of, you know, laps around the block. And as time has gone on, as I reflect about what friendships are and aren't and what sustains them and doesn't, it seems to me rare in your life that you make a friend that's your friend. I I can count on one hand the people that are friends just because we're friends. Mm -hmm. Most of the friends I've had in my life were friends, the friendship becomes oriented around a particular thing. Like we both work at this company or we both uh, play in this softball league or we both do this thing. And so the friendship becomes oriented around that thing. And it's, that's not a bad thing. It's just the friendship sort of orbits around some shared activity or interest or whatever. I can, I can really probably count on one hand friends that I have that go back there for my friends, just like, we don't, there's, there's no reason. We just met each other in high school or college Mm -hmm. and we just became deeply friends. Those are rare things. And so I think that when what the things, and I'll hear your thoughts about that too, but I think that the things that you're talking about where you go, well, the church softball league is in a way in which people go, well, why do I like Bob? Because we play on the softball team and mm-hmm. I see Bob when we play on the softball team. But if you take Dave and Bob and just throw them in a room and go, here, you know, be friends, it, it feels like forced, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I think part of what you're getting at or, or what we're getting to is that there are different kinds of friendships. Um, and oftentimes it is like to quote Lewis again, like he, he talks about friendship as like two people looking in the same direction, doing the same thing. He contrasts that with with like romantic love where the two people are looking at each other and, and it's more uh, insular in that sense. And, and so, yeah, I think a lot of friendships are going to be about something, some activity or, or common interest, and that's fine. That's a good thing. And it's not the deepest kind of friendship, but we really don't have a huge number of 
intimate friends in our life. Maybe the most extreme introvert or uh, extroverts have, you know, scads and scads of intimate friends, but most people have, have a few and, and that's fine. I mean, Jesus had 12 apostles and it wasn't that he didn't like everybody else, but you, you physically don't have time to, to invest in a huge number of people. And you see that model throughout the history of the church that oftentimes people have a small number of confidants and goodwill and general friendship to, to the other people, um, the other Christians around them. And that's good. And we want that. And so hopefully in the context of, you know, the church softball league or the, the small prayer group or the knitting club or whatnot, you can meet the people that are, are actually your, your close friends. And then hopefully we, we mix with each other and we, we make the time. We are intentional. I, th- I think that that word is, um, is warranted here. We're intentional about spending time with and not necessarily becoming, you know, bosom friends with everyone, but not just, you know, bolting as quickly as we can out, out, the, out to the parking lot after mass too. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, I think, God, I don't know, this is so, so complicated, right? Because mm-hmm. it's so human. Right. Okay. So, you know, your kids are young and my kids are grown. Mm-hmm. And I've hit this, we've hit this inflection point in life where because my kids are grown and married and have their own careers, they live nearby, but it's like, we can see them on Sunday afternoon or mm-hmm. we're going to, so, you know, I work, my wife works, everybody, you know, my kids and their spouses all work and you go, well, if I've got a free evening or if it's a Sunday afternoon, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're about, we are the ones who are bolting <laughs> out the door from mass and not sticking mm-hmm. around for donuts because this is my chance to go see my children. And, and so, you know, it's, it's tough because like relationships are just complicated and people's time is com is, is complicated. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So as I said at the beginning, uh, we actually came out here to record this little 30 minute episode. And then it turned into this like over hour long conversation next to the fire where we got into some real, got really rich. And so we decided to break this into two episodes. Uh, So what we're going to do is artificially stop it here. And then we'll artificially start it up for a second episode here in a little bit, but this is part of a long conversation. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its Saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.